thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today's podcast, wow, oh my goodness. Listeners, strap yourselves in, especially if you're Australian, but you are in for such a treat as we welcome the amazing Karma Trudgen to the show. Now, if you guys haven't heard of Karma, you probably have heard of the amazing Helen Patteron, who is a huge friend of all of ours. And um, Helen has suggested that we interview Karma. And as we've done research on this wonderful woman, we discover that she is working in Indigenous communities in in, um, northeastern Arnhem Land. And I don't even want to go any further than that because I really want to know everything about what you're doing, how this came about, and who are you? <laughs> um, Karma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about how you came to do the work that you're doing right now. Sure. So I, um, I completed a medical degree, was actually my... Um, <laughs> my humble beginnings and um, I was working in Darwin at the Aboriginal Medical Centre there and my husband was doing some consultancy work in Arnhem Land and we both decided to leave our jobs and head off to Arnhem Land to be available on the ground. So we moved to Elko Island, which is a little island in the middle of northeast Arnhem Land, which is the northeast corner of the Northern Territory. And our objective was to make ourselves available for the things that people were trying to do for themselves. So the things that were, you know, motivated from inside and, and um, you know, young people of Northeast Arnhem Land are just tremendously disempowered and there's so many obstacles to them achieving uh, the things that they're, they're trying to do for themselves to turn their communities around. And so we just wanted to make ourselves available as a resource. Um, we, we've learnt the language and, you know, spent a lot of time trying to understand the worldview and frameworks that people are coming from and, yeah, really wanted to be that, that human resource alongside people breaking down barriers. So we were doing that for a number of, of years and, kind of weren't expecting to be developing anything in the in the framework of nutrition and we um we had a a beautiful um encounter of of being able to share I guess what had unfolded in our personal life with the community that we were working with so we um We'd been on a big journey ourselves in terms of nutrition um I'd very much started in the kind of dominant paradigm of nutrition and had been eating low fat for a really long time and, and, you know, considered myself to be pretty healthy. And um, we then had a really heartbreaking journey where we, we lost our first son to a preterm labor. And we then had a lot of trouble getting through another pregnancy. So we were living in Arnhem Land doing this amazing work amongst this traditional culture and, yeah, in our personal life that was what we were struggling away with and it was um, years of, of trying to, you know, find anything that we could do, you know, within those things that are within your power to influence your fertility and we were really blessed to be introduced to the work of Western A. Price which um, was, was obviously a really, a really powerful thing to be introduced to in the context that we were living in because it wasn't very hard to test the theories that he was talking about because it's kind of still a living reality that's being played out in Arnhem Land that we had a, a traditional culture that were vibrantly healthy, eating all the abundance that nature provided to them and then had those modern displacing foods come in with the catastrophic health effects and and that was a very easy, you know, a story that's, that's held very closely and still within living memory of, of the people there. 
And one of the most startling things that, you know, obviously Western A. Price's work that was, was countercultural was its opinion on fat. And um, it was, again, something so easy to test because in terms of your more traditional culture, they fat so highly. It's, it's kind of the thing that, that dictates the whole calendar of, of hunting and gathering that you wait for the season when the, when the animal is at its fattest in order to, to hunt it. And, and there's signs in nature all around that people are attuned to that particular flowers in bloom indicate that particular things are going to be fat. Like there's particular flowers that indicate when stingray is going to be at its fattest and therefore you go hunting for stingray and, and things like that. So we, um, yeah, it was a beautiful, a beautiful context for us to be embracing that, that story. And, um, and we did, we completely changed the way that we ate. And obviously in the context of that just grew more and more respect for traditional cultures and, and the frameworks that they hold. And I guess we didn't expect our nutrition story to go any further than that. It was, it was a beautiful blessing for us. We have two beautiful little boys now and yeah, it was um, a life-changing journey for us that we didn't expect to be sharing with anyone else. But in that context we were in, we were surrounded by a just debilitating disease uh, that was just impinging on, on every aspect of life. So, so we were there alongside people trying to do positive things in their community, but we were constantly being sideswiped by sickness and death and constant constant funerals uh and you know the constant grief and trauma of that and and just everybody being so debilitated by ill health and and nobody seeing any connection between the state of their health and what they were eating and it kind of makes sense in one in one way that you know traditionally speaking food was something that was good you know you you in enjoyed the abundance of nature that was provided in its season. It was amazing to see that once people could experience the difference in eating good food, that they were able to make different choices in their life. So we discovered, A, the power of experiential, experiential education, actually being able to um, give someone an experience of what it feels like to eat differently and the power and the impact that that has on your body. And secondly, the power of returning people to a framework of nutrition that makes sense to them culturally. Um, so able to reconnect people with the framework of the traditional diet. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the beginnings of, of Hope for Health. We, we basically had a growing demand in the community in response to what they were seeing with our good friend Diane. Um, so we fundraised and took a group of young ladies to an established health retreat down south so that they could get a taste of, of how we could do a, a similar model in the NT and um, then we fundraised again and, um, and pioneered a retreat in Arnhem Land, which is what was captured in the documentary The Magic Pill. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing journey of giving people the gift of this experience where they, where they I, I guess it's more than just an experience about the power of nutrition because we're talking about a population that's, that's thoroughly disempowered and I guess, you know, the, the poison of that is that you don't really believe in your ability to impact your own world let alone anyone else's. And so to give people an experience that shows them that choices that they make and in are in control of impact their well-being is just a really empowering experience, let alone when in that context we can validate their traditional diets and roots in that. Um, it's just a, a really a beautiful process. And I guess that's just the beginning then is to then be on that journey with people and, and how you, you make positive lifestyle change in, you know, in complex situations like remote communities. Kama, I want to ask you something. I just want to go back a little bit. Um, sure. as, a as a New Zealander, I come from the land where the Maoris were seen and are seen as warriors and, and you can see that in our haka and you can see that in the way that we 
um, have a very, what we call, a very strong connection to the mana of, of the land and the people. And yes, mm. there's problems in New Zealand and by no means is it perfect. And mm. every New Zealand day, there's always issues and things like that. As a New Zealander living in Australia, I, I have to say I've been a bit horrified at the way the Aboriginal culture has not been embraced in the way that we were brought up. Mm. Can you tell us, I mean, my view is that, yes, the New Zealand Maoris, our Indigenous culture, were warriors. I look at the Aboriginals as wanderers um, with an incredible innate intelligence around the land, the, 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 the people, the, the planet, the animals, the plants. Mm. Why, you've said it a number of times, how they've been oppressed and they've, mm. they're not allowed to flourish in their culture. What on earth has happened in your viewpoint? And what, with what you're doing is helping a small amount, can this be replicated around the country? Yeah, absolutely. That's an awesome question. I think, you know, I think disempowerment is really at the heart of things and, and thankfully that doesn't seem to be as, as dominant part of the story in places like New Zealand. I think, um, I think the picture that people have been given of Indigenous culture is, is thoroughly inaccurate. You know, all the, all the descriptors that we use are, are things like um, hunter-gatherers and, uh, you know, nomadic and, you know, they're, they're things that imply a really primitive culture and, and it's just so far from the truth. You know, these people were amazingly sophisticated um, people who, who had incredibly complex, beautiful structures that, you know, led to um, societies that were really thriving and functional. And, you know, they were, you know, in, in, in terms of food particularly, they were certainly not roaming around um, just kind of wandering and stumbling upon food. There were very clear states with very clear, um, you know, jurisdictions and people moved about on them in court according to the seasons and they definitely propagated foods and made sure that they used resources in a way that meant they were going to still be there the next year and there were very clear laws in in place in in that regard so it was very it was very sophisticated farming that was going on as opposed to the way we come in and you know annihilate a landscape and replace it with with a, a particular crop um so very sophisticated culture and very much a similar picture of, of, of warriors. You know, my father-in-law has written a book about Arnhem Land called Why Warriors Lie Down and Die. And, and that's exactly the picture that, that you know, it, 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 it's so accurate that we're talking about strong, vibrant warriors who have been dis disempowered to the point where they are lying down and, and you know, giving up. And that's a, a horrific, heartbreaking thing to to see going on um but definitely yeah definitely the reality I guess um Arnhem Land has a, a slightly different history to other areas of Australia in in one sense because uh it's the area of land that the local people were actually able to defend against you know the encroaching dominant culture people pastoralists and the like and and you know there was a, there was wars that went on and and the Yungwa people were were actually able to successfully defeat their land but as a result of that the government decided to turn it turn that area into a reserve and so the land was given back to the Yungwa people but it's held in trust by land councils and there's been just an incredible, incredibly complex clashing of the two cultures that has gone on there. So, you know, Yungo people used to have a very sophisticated, vibrant economy, for instance. And, you know, that included international trade. And that's most famously with the Macassans. Um, but all of those got, I guess, all of those frameworks got cut across when the dominant culture kind of landed so you know their trade routes were, were cut off by different sanctions and things from from darwin once darwin was being um, settled and so you know economically things were closed down and all of these messages came in that were basically saying the way you have been doing things is wrong and primitive there's a new way a superior way that we're bringing in and you know it, it seemed that the dominant culture had all the power and the resources so it's very easy to believe that message and I guess when when welfare was brought in it was kind of the last 
straw because it, it's really the thing that takes away someone's dignity where they're, they're no longer having to, you know, work to provide. There's a beautiful concept in, um, in the Jungle language called ma, which is your inner spiritual power. And it's actually a, a, a term that's used even in, in terms of economics. So if you, if you trade with somebody, if you give something to somebody, that means you're ma midi, you possess ma because you, you've given this, this thing. If that person doesn't reciprocate, they become ma miru without ma, without that inner spiritual power. And I just find that such a powerful thing because I think it's so true. That's kind of what welfare has done, that people are receiving without reciprocating and it leaves them without inner spiritual power. And it's, yeah, it's a really debilitating thing. Um, a, a major, major factor that has led to so much of this clash and disempowerment is, is the lack of acknowledgement of the local language and the local I guess, cultural concepts and frameworks. So people, are, you know, the, the Jungle language has not been thoroughly mapped. There are not dictionaries that people can use to access and understand all the new words and ways that have been brought in that are now dictating what goes on on their land. So people are basically in an information void and not able to, I guess, navigate how to, to get through that without information. And that information needs to be actually in their languages with their traditional knowledge because all of the terms are there, all of the concepts are there for all of the things that we think of society. They are all there in the, in the Jungle language. But it's really easy, for instance, to, you know, when you live in a, a community where all of the houses are government housing now, people have become completely dependent on government housing and that, you know, they're not given a background story that explains that, well, actually, all the dominant culture people, you know, in, in mainstream communities, the majority of those houses are private houses and people are actually going into significant debt that they are working for, you know, most of their life in order to pay off that house. From their vantage point, all they're seeing is the government must like them better because they're giving them nicer houses than what they're giving to us. And it, there's just so many layers of, of complexity that need to be unpacked because there's just not the information there for Jungle to navigate this new world that just descended on them. And I guess the, the, the food and nutrition is a really tangible example of that, that the framework that people were in was not the right one to engage with these new modern foods and the whole paradigm of, of, that's around that in terms of commercialism and advertising and all of those things. They're all so new. And people are having to navigate all of that in such a shorter time frame compared to the time frame we had. Um, so, yeah, it, it leaves people really disempowered. And it's it's been such a gift this this pathway that has um, unfolded with Hope for Health where we can kind of break that cycle in a sense by taking people out to, you know, a context where they can be immersed in a different way and the way that's just building on the foundation of what their traditional knowledge is and validating that they don't need to be somebody else and do things differently in order to be healthy. They knew how to do that all along and we actually need to be learning from them how that was being done. And, it, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to be able to break that cycle, validate that knowledge and start building bridges in that over to the modern context. How do we apply those same principles that are within your traditional framework when you're in the shop? So it's not that you have to go back to living the way that you used to live. It's that you need to bring those principles with you so that you can make choices now in the new context that you find yourself in. And I, I guess, you know, answer to your question, we, we absolutely want to make this, this replicable. And I guess more than that, we, we want to be building on it. So we want to um, continue to be delivering the retreats that we are for Indigenous people. And we have so much demand from, from other communities. Um, so we really want to be able to expand to, to meet that demand. And we're also really excited that this year we're, you know, partnering with amazing Helen Padron to launch our Together Retreats, which is the first time we're kind of making our work available to dominant culture people. So I guess along the pathway, 
it's certainly something that I've experienced personally that the opportunity to to be amongst Jungle people is just it's something that just blows your mind you're just you're constantly shown just this completely different framework for engaging with the world and it's just it's just the most amazing process of having your blinkers removed because you're, you're constantly challenged you're constantly pulled into the moment and it's um it's certainly been life-changing for me and I guess as I've been doing the journey of Hope for Health and being able to bring in, we use a lot of volunteer practitioners and, and different things like that and, and being able to see these dominant culture people come together with Yungo with and share space and just what that does to the dominant culture people is, is a really, it's, it's priceless. And I guess what I love about that is that it, it cuts across so many of the stereotypes that people have, which is so negative, like everybody just hears all the negative statistics and and all the negative stories from communities and they don't get an opportunity to see just the amazing wealth and richness that is there that is just full of all the things that we are craving in the west and yeah it's it's beautiful when people get that opportunity to have positive shared experience together and realize that we need each other so that's what we want to do with these together retreats is is create that opportunity for people to come together and it's a health retreat, so it's completely, um, you know, immersing yourself in, in health practices, but it's doing that alongside your more participants who are having that life-saving journey at the same time, but also blessing you with just that experience of learning together and, and experiencing that different, different way of, of being in the world. Um, so, yeah, we're really thrilled to be launching that this year. It looks amazing and it's such a beautiful thing to to actually come up with and work together. And I can't think of better people to be doing it. Mm. I remember watching the magic pill and, um, and then seeing photos and imagery of Pete Evans and Nick mm. up there and um, doing, I'm not sure what you call it in, in Aboriginal, but the, the forehead and nose to, to forehead mm. and nose and being in each other's breath and just watching that, uh, exchange between yeah. the cultures and like you say coming together can you yeah. tell us what was the biggest and most amazing outcome of magic pill and has it had any great um has it had a great impact on what you're trying to do through hope for health sure it was i mean it was a beautiful process to have rob take come and and film um that retreat he was he was a real blessing on that journey i guess it um, it's really thrilling to have our story being told. You know, we, we've kind of been floating around in the middle of nowhere, very under-resourced, and, um, and I guess it's beautiful when there's this pathway that we've been given that is, is really powerful and it's, it's a, a really powerful story that's, that's unfolding and growing and it's, yeah, it's, it's a joy to be able to share that with the world because I, I've just been, it's just been such an incredible blessing the way people respond. You know, it, it really, um, I think people have been wanting to connect with and contribute to something positive to, to bless Indigenous people and their health. You know, I think people are genuinely troubled and deeply concerned by the situation. I mean, it is horrific, the statistics that are going on, but, but it's rare that people are actually shown that there's something positive that you can connect with. And I, I guess, um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, we have been very dependent on donations right from the start for, for this work. And I, I guess it's been such a privilege to have people contributing to our work because they don't just give money. They, they, they you know, you, you can feel that sense of people coming on the journey with us. And that's been really special because you're all about connection. You know, that's like, that's the, that's the biggest gift that they you know that they have shown me particularly I mean their, their entire society is structured around their kinship system which is basically this this interconnected web of relationships so you have a, a relationship term for every single person in 
a society. And if you, if you don't directly know what that is, you can easily work it out by mapping through the relationships. So there, there is nobody that you're not connected with. And, and those connections are really clear in terms of what those relationships are, what the responsibilities are, what the obligations are, what, you know, what that connection means. You're, you're so grounded in this web and when people, um, when dominant culture people connect with Jung, they adopt you into that system because they kind of don't really know what to do with you otherwise if you, if you don't fit into that system because that's the system that kind of dictates how they respond to you and, and how you fit into everything. So, yeah, it's, it, connection is, is so at the heart of everything that they do and I guess it's been beautiful to feel that connection growing broader and broader and you know with the audience that's able to hear our story and I guess it gives us hope that we together are going to be able to impact so much more because that's that's the reality it's by coming together it's by realizing that we need each other it's by realizing that corporately we have all of the wisdom all the experience and all of the resources if we can come together to really make an impact on this space and I feel like this is really, you know, it's a timely thing. I, I, you know, the, the situation in Indigenous communities is, is already horrific in terms of the constant, constant funerals, the backlog of funerals waiting to happen. And, and we haven't really seen the start of it yet, really. You know, the people that, the people that we're losing now are people who were, you know, were blessed to be eating traditional foods when they were in the womb and in their childhood. And, you know, the, the, the generation that's coming through now have not had any of that foundation. So people are getting sicker and they're getting sicker much younger. And so this is, this is, a, this is a chronic disease epidemic that is going to, you know, we have not seen the beginning of it yet. And, and that's, you know, for me, that's, that's heart-wrenching. You know, these are people who I, who I know and love and who are starved for information and opportunity to turn this around. So it's it's so it's so amazing to have a positive pathway that can speak into that and and really bring hope and it is very real hope because we have people who've been through this process who know that there are decisions that they can make that impact their health who see a pathway there and have hope and want the rest of their community to be on that pathway with them and are working hard with us to to make that a reality so you know, hope changes everything. And it's, um, yeah, we certainly intend to, to keep building this, this network of people that can connect with this and, and understand what's happening and, and that we, we can do something to turn it around. I'd um, like to just put a little bit of perspective here that, you know, the Australian Aboriginal people and everything you've said, um, I'm sitting here absolutely um, twisting in my seat. Um, tears um, have been running because I feel like we've destroyed um, an amazing culture, but we've not only destroyed the Australian Aboriginal people's culture, but the white people too have lost their culture. Mm. And as you were saying, we're looking for connection. We're looking for community. And that, you know, and I actually see that on social media as people mm -hmm. find their tribe. Like the Australian yeah. Aboriginal people had tribes. You know, they had, um, they had groups. So that, that's one thing I think we need to put into perspective is that you are paving the way and not only showing the Australian Aboriginal people this, but we're looking at um, a whole of a, the whole of Australia and, you know, I've read The Great, the Greatest Estate and I've read um, Dark Emu and I've read The Oldest Foods on Earth, which are all about the Australian way of eating, the Australian Aboriginal people's way of eating. And I look at what's happening at the moment in our country and in the lakes of Menindee and the Murray-Darling Basin and the, the, the death of the fish Mm. the thousands and thousands there's probably millions and they're saying some of those fish are 100 years old mm. and the way that we know that this greater state of australia had been governed by the australian aboriginal people for they say 65,000 years but they're even putting it to 110 to 120,000 years mm. 
and we've come in 200 years, we have absolutely destroyed this land. And I want, I, I want the Australian people to wake up. And having you is like having an angel on this podcast. Oh. Because you have, I hope you have woken more people up because I'm, you know, at them all the time about organic foods and regenerative farming and eating the way our ancestors ate. And in a, a very short period of time, you have showed the devastation that is happening in a community and very eloquently. So first of all, I wanted to thank you and I also wanted to put this in perspective for white people. Yeah. <laughs> That's, thank you so much. Yeah, I really admire what you're doing. Do I, you, I think, sorry, you go. Do you feel a frustration? Do you, or are you feeling light at the end of the tunnel? How, like I'm, I've, I've looked at your website and I, I've looked at this as a generational thing mm. that you're doing. You know, it's your husband's father mm. that started this or they started this together. Mm. And no doubt your children will carry this on. Mm. Um, do you see, are you frustrated or do you see hope? I definitely see hope and I I guess I can contrast that with with how I felt you know so we we lived in community for 5 years before hope for health started and and I definitely felt hopelessness in that space I I think it took me almost those 5 years to actually be convinced that Jung had no idea why they were all dying and you know that that's pretty um that's a pretty intense reality to be in this 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 intense funerals and death and sickness but confusion o- overarching all of that you know that and and to me that is hopeless because you, you you're in so much pain and grief but there is no pathway there is there's no direction or hope and and I would see people often um, I guess when you're when you're in a situation where you don't have information, it's very easy to over-spiritualise things. I, you know, I totally believe everything has a spiritual dimension, so I don't want to under-spiritualise things as well. But, it, you know, I would hear people blaming cultural factors or spiritual factors or different forces um, purely because they didn't have anything else to, to pin it on. And, and they were all very disempowered responses that were all things out there that they could do nothing about um, to, to impact anything. I guess um, I guess the the main the main times I've felt hopelessness. I, I mean, early on in that process, when we were trying to find funds to to really kickstart what we were doing, and we had some some you know incidences of of funds that that seemed like they were going to come through that then felt short. That felt really really hopeless because it was. I, I kind of felt like I don't feel like I can keep being in this situation, seeing what needs to happen and not being able to get on with it. And, and I guess it, it's, it's hard to sometimes convey, um, I guess, convey the power of what was happening around me because I was seeing people change on the inside and that's not necessarily a very easy thing to, to communicate to somebody else that, you know, that you've actually, you've actually impacted what people are feeling and believing about themselves and their place in the world. Um, and that's just a real thing. It's really tangible. And I guess there's lots of times where uh, the, the people we've been working with have say, you know, particularly times where we haven't had a lot of resources to come alongside people and they maybe get off track and, and, um, and aren't going very well, particularly when a lot of stressful things are happening in the community. And it's, it's easy to feel a sense of, oh, you know, are we really, are we making any progress? Are we getting anywhere? But, but to come alongside those people and see that they have hope, they have direction, they're still wanting to be on that path and wanting to get back there and they are drawing more people to that path. I, I just can't walk away from that. It's just, it's too, it's too real. It's too tangible. And I guess I'm just so thoroughly convinced that younger people matter, you know, it, that they matter. Our world needs them. And, and the knowledge that we are losing as they die, that matters. Like that mm. is, that is a, a, a desperately just awful loss for our world. You know, we, we, we need 
that knowledge. We all need it. Young people need it. And we in the dominant culture need it. And, and I just feel so privileged that I've had that opportunity to learn some of that and, and have that speak into my life and my children's life. And, and, you know, that shouldn't just be for me, you know, that that's what our country needs. And I guess, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give up on that because I, I, I feel like we've been given this gift of this, this pathway and um, yeah, I, I intend to, to follow through on it. It's, um, it's certainly, yeah, it certainly hasn't been an easy path. Um, but I'm so encouraged by how much goodwill is out there and how much, you know, that just amazing people with such amazing skills and, and passion, they want opportunities to channel that into meaningful things. Um, so I've got something meaningful they can channel it into. And, um, and it's really exciting when, when that, can, that can connect. I guess it's also easy to be frustrated by just how many resources are going into things that aren't working and and things that are never going to work and and even seeing things backfire that have such good intention um, and you know maybe look good on paper. Um, so I guess um, you know our formula is is much more about being together in that space and finding a way forward you know it's it's not something that you can um you know we, we want our model to be replicable but it will never be um you know a set of of tight formulas to be executed because it's about being together um you know in the mud and and finding a way forward and and when when something fails you find you find a new way forward you know that that's just that's the only option there is um so yeah, I guess I have a lot of hope from just the tangible impact I experience in, in the relationships with people that I have and, and also a lot of hope in, in the growing community of people that, that are, you know, seeing how important this is and, and willing to get behind it. Good to hear. That's, that's <laughs> what we need to hear. Uh, being in Arnhem Land, have you come across uh, the food larder I met? A young girl, um, I was one of the 100 women of influence, but I think you should be named the number oh. 100 women of influence. Oh, that'd be crazy. <laughs> oh, but I was, I was um, put in that and I, I went to the dinner and I met this amazing young girl. And I think her business was called The Food Larder. And she, what she was doing in communities was creating um, greenhouses mm. where they could grow their own food. And this one particular one, there's a whole documentary on it, but this one particular one was, um, or this community was one that was isolated by water for food. Mm. And the only thing they had was a shop. And, in, and the food that was brought in there was like soft drinks, yeah. um, white bread, mm. you know, cookies and candies and, you know, all of the stuff that we know is creating ill health in, in our community, or what do you call it? Dominant, what do you call us? The dominant? The dominant culture. The dominant culture, you know, and the dominant culture. I love it. The Australian Aboriginal people in the dominant culture. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I know that there are people out there doing things, but it's not coming back to us. It's not, we're not hearing. Like I only hear, heard about what you're doing and the, the three of us only heard about what you're doing through Helen. Mm. beautiful Helen Patter and who's a good friend of the three of us. Mm. So I mean, there are so many important things that are, that are going on out there. And I mean, I think just firstly, it's really important that those things are able to connect and able to happen in the right, in the right sequence, I guess, because I, I guess there's no question that there are issues in community in terms of like access to foods and and you know local production of foods there's no question that those are those are issues but i guess they can never be solved by by outsiders and they can never be solved without there being something changing on pe on the inside of people to to understand why that would actually matter why you would why you would put the effort in to grow something as opposed to buy that thing from the shop um so it's real, you know, we found that to be one of the most startling things about this process is that 
you just give people this experience of, of health and they're suddenly demanding skills. They're, they're demanding to learn how to cook. They're demanding that more vegetables are in the shop. They're demanding to learn how to grow their own vegetables. So it's, um, it's beautiful when that motivation can be being sparked from the outside and, and that then if we can bring those resources and skills to, to meet those needs, that's when it's really powerful. Because I do, like I said, I think collectively we have all the knowledge and experience and resources and, and it's about coming together. And I think it's really important what you're saying about that story being brought back to the dominant culture because, you know, things are far too polarised. We don't realise that we're all part of the same story and and we are. It's, you know, that there is no solution here that isn't together. And I, I think younger people particularly are just insanely gracious that they, you know, despite everything that's been done to them, they still hold so firmly to a belief that, together we can be greater and they they want their frameworks and worldview and language to be acknowledged and validated and and made useful and relevant and they they know that that will make our society greater and we're not seeing it for what it is we're not valuing it and yeah it's um that's that's our loss so so thoroughly but we can't afford to to keep not seeing it because it's not going to be around forever if we don't start valuing it. And, um, and that's definitely something that's happening in communities where that knowledge isn't being valued by the younger generations because there's just so many messages bombarding them, telling them that their culture is primitive and irrelevant and, yeah, not of any value. And mm. so we, we really want to... Um, to make that a reality for people that, you know, that younger people matter, their knowledge matters. It's not something that's just a romantic idea that's really nice and we should just preserve it. It's actually life-saving, life-giving information that, that we desperately need in the dominant culture. And, yeah, we, we want to be bringing that all together so, so that we're not, we're not just trying to preserve Indigenous culture for its own sake because, you know, I don't know. It, just, it, it it's it's not um, it's not being seen that it's actually it's actually life giving to us in the dominant culture that that we really need that information. Yeah. Can we just change track just a little bit? Sure. Can you give us a day in your life? <laughs> um, so, uh, do you mean a day in my life in community or a day in my life where I am right now? Let's do a day in your life in community. Sure. Gosh. <laughs> so I guess um, I guess one of the things that, um, you know, so we spent eight years living in community full time um, and that was, that was really intense. I think the biggest, you know, the biggest word you can use to describe life in Arnhem Land is, is intense. Um, it's, it's so real. <laughs> It's um, and you just never know what is going to come at you. So you anything that you have planned is not what will happen. Um, I guess. Um, so my working community was um, was mainly focused around supporting um, the women that had been participants in Hope for Health, whilst also trying to you know keep the program going in the background in terms of funding and raising awareness and stuff. Um, so I guess um, that's thoroughly impacted by what's what's going on in their lives. Um, very often plans are made that get sideswiped by a death. So, um, you know, that's, um, that's a, you would very rarely get through a week where, where that doesn't happen. Um, so generally a hearing ceremony will happen where it's announced um, who's passed away. And, um, and then a lot of ceremony and, and grieving um, follows that. Um, I, I guess, um, yeah, I guess the, the language space is, is a massive thing to kind of um, be reckoning with in, in community. So, I mean, I always try really hard to be, um, to be in the Yungu domain, the space where people feel comfortable using the language that they feel comfortable using. So that generally means that I'm 
constantly chasing my tail to understand everything that's being said and um yeah and keeping up and getting lost in in all of that and and half understanding everything um so yeah that's that's a reality that's um that's pretty exhausting as well um yeah and i guess um the beautiful thing about life in arnhem land is there is there is much less of a separation between work and life in a sense you know when when i when i practiced as a as a doctor it you know by design you you never um you never kind of crossed paths with your patients in normal life like that was that was a very separate domain and you had a very separate professional relationship um with people so i guess it's um, it's been really different in my work in Hope for Health, particularly because it emerged from the space of my personal life. I mean, technically, I wasn't even working at the time when that happened. I was at home with my six-month-old at the time, full-time. But, you know, in community development, that's all a bit of a blur. That's kind of the real space where things can happen. Um, so I guess it's been um, so different to be in this domain where, that's more of a continuum that these are these are relationships that are that are part of my life so i might need to catch up with with um a particular participant and you know the chances are that i'll run into them when i'm just walking through the community somewhere or i've just gone to the shop and so half of your work and scheduling kind of just happens um on the fly and in that kind of context um and I guess it's such a different framework when, you know, you don't need to kind of sit and do a consult to, to catch up on what somebody's been eating and how they're going or what's affecting them in their life because you're actually part of most of those things. You're sharing space, you're sharing meals, you're, you know, you're aware that particular people are sick or someone's died in their family or, or things like that. So there's much more of a, a collision of those worlds. Um, and I guess part of the gift of that is, is that I then get to bring my family into that space as well. So it's always a juggle of, you know, having young kids and, and you know, just the, um, the space that takes up in your life and energy. Um, but that's, um, you know, our, our young, our eldest boy, Eli, has, this has just been his life. You know, he had his own workshop materials to deliver nutrition education to, <laughs> to whoever would listen um, and considered himself part of the, the team. He definitely still considers himself part of the Hope Health team. Um, so that's been really beautiful, that kind of um, blurring. Um, it was really hard when we needed to step back from the ground and part of that was out of necessity for the project in order to be able to you know raise more awareness and invest more in the back end so that we have a strong foundation to build the program on when you're in community it's very hard to remove yourself from that intensity um, because it, it's really unrelenting and you know every week you think oh what an intense week as if there could never be another week that intense but every week is that intense because people keep dying people keep getting sick really gross injustices just keep happening um and it's really hard to um to yeah divorce yourself from those when they're people that you know and care about um and they're affecting the community that's the space that you're moving in um so, yeah, we, we have, um, at the beginning of this year, relocated to a retreat centre in rural Darwin to, to really invest in that foundation. And it's been wonderful to have more energy to um, connect with dominant culture people that want to hear this story and, um, and want to come alongside us. Um, it, is, it is always heart-wrenching when we do go back to community because um, I guess I realise my privilege in that that I can come and go from from that but for young that's their reality that's their world and they they can't you know step outside of that they can't cut off from it we're coming towards um the end of our hour together and I would say that there will be people out there that will want to know how they can contribute to hope for health awesome so, yeah, so let us know um, where, what they do, how they get there, um, how do they give their, their money or how can they help or, um, in other ways because I know that 
Helen goes up there and I, you know, yeah. I, and I, Helen's asked me to come up there too. So let yeah. people know how they can help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I guess, um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, we did a Facebook Live when we were last um, in community with some of our um, beautiful Yungle ladies and, and I took that question to them and it was so beautiful because the first thing that Yungle always talk about is about relationships. So I guess um, I love to always start there that that is what is important for Yungle, that they have people journeying with them and that's what we want is to be growing this family that are journeying together and obviously, there's really tangible ways that that can happen too. So, you know, we are a really, really small team with a very, very big vision and we don't have a lot of resources. And so when you do donate, it really makes an impact. It enables us to fly, you know, amazing naturopaths like Helen Padron out to community to do consults and come alongside people. So we've just spent 10 days out there you know, investing um, in in a little mini retreat in the community to, to reset people and get them um, back on track for the new year. And that was just such a gift to, to be able to share that time. And, and it makes an impact. And, you know, people don't have access to anything outside of a mainstream health clinic. There is no access to any, any alternative or preventative health care outside of that. And we in the dominant culture just have such a wealth of tools and resources available to us all in our own language. Um, so we want to bring the best of, uh, you know, what our health and preventative health care has to offer to this population that we need to value so much and who are suffering more than any other population in our country. So donations are, are a huge thing. Um, we do have volunteer opportunities, particularly at our retreats. Um, so where, you know, we, we use volunteer practitioners to deliver our retreats. So naturopaths, massage practitioners and osteopaths, um, as well as helping in the kitchen and things like that. Um, so that's a, a really tangible way to get involved. I know that, um, we often don't have as many spots as people would like. So, um, but that is something that we, you know, we, we are wanting to invest in a framework where we can be delivering these retreats regularly. And I guess that's partly what Together Retreats are about is that we're trying to look at different ways to make this model accessible and, and impactful to the biggest network of, you know, audience that we can. So the Together Retreat model, the dominant culture participants pay for their own spot and they also sponsor a young person to participate so then that journey happens together so everyone is investing in their own health and paying it forward at the same time and we're just so excited about that because we we know that it's just going to magnify the impact because we need each other and we need those opportunities to share time and space together and we need tools and frameworks to be understanding ourselves, understanding each other. And, and then we need an opportunity to actually live that knowledge. So the Together Retreat program has a two-month online prep course that we do together to really dive into all of that stuff. So then we can dive into two weeks immersion together with um, the Jungle participants and really live it really experience it and you know that it's not just theoretical practical stuff it's immersion in all of those health practices but also immersion in that cross-cultural space where you know it's the gray zone where we mix and mingle and we get to exchange um so we're so excited about that and yeah so we've only just got the word out about together retreat so we really want to spread that word far and wide and give that opportunity to dominant culture people to just really dive into this and and learn and experience and um yeah become part of the family in that way so we're really excited about that opportunity and we really um we really hope that um that can be a pathway that can regularly deliver these retreats for younger people because they're life-saving and and you know we're we're wanting to explore all the different ways that that can be a viable thing for us to deliver Oh, it sounds wonderful. I'll make sure that I put on the show notes where they can go and what mm -hmm. they can do in order to learn more about you. Read that fabulous book about why warriors lie mm -hmm. down. Um, so I'll make sure that happens. But what I'd like to um, just finish my with myself is 
I've learned two major things from you. Number one is that we've been lied to and mm. about the Australian Aboriginal people and uh, I think Australian history needs to be rewritten and changed and not be English dominant but perhaps really understand the culture and, uh, yeah, I think that would, number one. The second thing that um, I've learnt from you is that we can learn from their culture more than we, we are doing now. We can learn how they manage this land. We can learn how they manage their bodies, how they figured out what food was right and how they had to prepare it and, you know, when to eat. I loved that. When a flower bloomed, yeah, you would eat a, a fat, you know, thing right. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that. So I just feel that, number one, we've been lied to. Number two, we can learn a lot from this mm. beautiful culture that you, you know, you're speaking about. Kim, what about you? What are your two takeaways from... Uh, I just, I've been in awe listening. Yeah. It's, it's amazing and you know, for someone like yourself with a medical degree, but also who's gone through her own incredible pain um, with losing your son. I think I remember you saying that at the yeah. beginning and and how you have turned that pain or maybe used that pain to support other people, let alone a whole culture in pain, has made me realise that there is hope for the human spirit to to completely rise above our individual pains in order to make a difference. And the difference you're making, Karma, and what your husband and your family and, and then beautiful souls, like the ambassadors. I see you've got Nora Gagardis in there. You've got the beautiful uh, Pete and Nick. You've got Narelle Shinnery in there from My Essence. You've got just, um, you know, Pete and Nicole. And, and I just... I just think it's wonderful that there's a lot of people out there with good following that also believe in this project. So um, I think my first take-home is certainly that through our own pain, we can project support and help other people through their pain. That's something I've taken from you. And I think the other thing is probably along the same lines as Cindy, but in my opinion, if it's been only a short period of time that we've almost decimated the health of this culture, then surely it's only a short amount of time that we can turn it around again. So my wish and my hope is from what you're saying and with the impact and how people like yourself are doing this, then my wish and my take home is that then I hope that we can be a part of that in helping you to turn this around. And, and it's not a culture that's asking for help. It's not a culture that's saying we're weak. It's a culture saying, I think in Cindy's words, we've kind of been lied to. So, you know, let's do this together. They don't seem like they're blaming or getting angry, but they're, they're, they're crying for help in a, in a more energetic, spiritual way. So they would be my two take-homes. And, and I feel very, very blessed that we've had you on the show. And I can see why Helen said to get you here. And, and I guess we're finishing up. I would love to know what are your two big take-homes and what would you love to leave our listeners with? Um, from the place where you're sitting. Oh, Kim, I love what you just reflected on there because it's, um, to me, you know, we, we don't get to choose what our story is, but we, we all get these opportunities to, to learn things that I think can be gifts to the world. And, and you know, I, I feel like I really only learnt that one in, in hindsight that I was able to look back on on just the horrific few years of infertility where we were battling and looking for answers and, and the hope that we were able to find and, and, and work through. I can, I can actually really feel gratitude for that journey because I had no idea what that would enable and that that enabled me to have something to give to the world. And, um, yeah, I think... Um, I think we all need to look at our struggles a little bit more in that light and um and and see them as as an opportunity to you know learn the real stuff it's the stuff you live that you you know that you really that you you can really embody and and give to the world and yeah I feel so privileged that um that that has been able to to lead to hope health and and together work and yeah I'm I'm really excited about seeing what that can do and yeah I really um I'd love people to to reflect just as you did then on 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 that um 
you know, the role of, of those painful things in your life and, and how you can transform them into something that's um, impacting, yeah. And I guess the other thing that's really, um, yeah, really just central on my heart is, is just the value of, of traditional cultures and, and that we, we have been given such a, an inaccurate picture. And from what I have experienced, uh, you know, my mind is just constantly blown and expanded by, um, by this, this otherness, this completely different way of looking at the world. And we're so stuck in such narrow paradigms and it's easy to feel hopeless because you you can't see anything different because we're not thinking anything different um and the gift of otherness the gift of a different perspective that's from a completely different framework and and vantage point and um yeah and and what what a gift that is and i i guess um i really want us to to realise in the dominant culture that this isn't a story that we're separate from, that it's not these, these Indigenous people far away somewhere else that I can't see and that that's not impacting me at all, that, you know, we are actually all part of this same story and that we do have an opportunity in this nation. It's, it's not too late. You know, we haven't completely decimated this culture yet and we still have an opportunity to turn that around and change that story and and rather than feeling you know ashamed of the statistics that we have in our nation in terms of our indigenous people and and ashamed of of how they're being treated and you know that we have an opportunity to change that and and actually realize the value and and wisdom and knowledge they hold and and that we can be proud of that and proud of that being being integrated into into who we are so i really yeah, that's what I'm going to keep working for. You know, as I'm listening to you as well, and I know that I've been pretty quiet because I have been just taking in everything that you've been saying um, today, uh, Karma, I, I, there are two things that have really stuck out for me. And the first one is that I've, I find it so heartwarming, sad but also heartwarming in that, you know, those who are the and I don't, I don't want to say victims because I don't see the Aboriginal people as victims, but, but they have certainly been, they certainly have suffered at the hand of white people and the way that we have treated them. So I don't think we can ignore that. But, I, but what I love about this story is that no one is looking for pity. No one is feeling sorry for themselves and also nobody is feeling animosity and anger and hatred at the hands of what's been perpetrated against them. In fact, what they're looking for is healing. Mm. And to me, that speaks volumes to the second takeaway for me is the culture and the spiritual connection to the land, to one another, to life, to oneness and harmony and unity it speaks volumes to what they know that we are only now just discovering and beginning to appreciate as we're starting to realise that our Western culture and our Western way of seeing the world doesn't work for us because we're bigger, fatter, sicker and dying sooner than what we've ever done before. And finally, there are some trailblazers that are willing to look into other cultures to find the answers to effortlessness that we have been seeking mm. since God was in small pants but haven't found it, you know. And I think that it's so beautiful to see that the Aboriginals are um, so uh, interested in, in being a part of a collective, which I think is so beautiful. And I love that there are people like you who are being the link between us and them and creating that oneness rather than there being this void of misunderstanding mm. so hats off to you girlfriend congratulations on the work that you're doing thank you for being a part of today's podcast and i think as we bring this show to a close you've opened the eyes of everybody that's listening to this podcast and i'm so excited to actually start to see some of the feedback that we got on our facebook page from today's podcast because i think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be cheering you on and um feeling a little spark inside of their hearts ignite um, with curiosity as to how they can be a part of this and participate because I think there are more of us that are interested in harmony with mm. our Aboriginal brothers and sisters than what there are those of us who are interested in separation. Mm. So thank you. 
for the work that you're doing. You're amazing. Thank you so much. So for all of our listeners today, I mean, I just want to say a big fat wow. I hope you guys have loved listening to today's show and you've gotten some things that, like I said, have really sparked your heart with curiosity for what these incredible people bring to our lives, the richness and the information that they can share with us. We are blessed to have um, Indigenous people to this country that um, are willing to, to, to share themselves. So I just I say hats off. So thank you so much again, beautiful Karma, and um, for all of our listeners, please, Listen to the podcast again and extract some more gifts and post your questions on our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also post your comments and your questions at all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So for all of our listeners, Karma, before we sign off, is there a way that our listeners can follow you or find you and track your journey and what you're up to do you have a website and a facebook and instagram we do we have all of the above um for hope for health hope for health so hope Hope for health on facebook hope for health on instagram and help hopeforhealth.com.au on a website that's it absolutely magical thank you so much my love it's been a treat thank you thank you So everybody join us here next week on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that is really changing the world. And we are so going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.